passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello and welcome to the second Sunday night, Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. How you doing? I'm doing uh, fantastic. Um, I just I just spoiled the entire second episode of Succession, so Wei is very upset at me right now. I gave away every every inch of what happened over the last hour. Uh, unbelievable. Sorry, Wei. Oh, I'm so mad. Um, but you know what? I feel like I'll enjoy the show nonetheless. There's no better written show than succession it's just the lines they're they're fantastic oh i'm so excited and i'm excited to talk about it on uh the sesh this week with the, uh, the sesh up- oh you're on this week i'm on this week oh okay so yeah so I'll I'll, go for that when, when, when does that show drop i think it's out on friday this week on the uh, up next feed it's either thursday or the friday on the up next uh, patreon feed i should say so watch out for that well as we're uh, mentioning uh up next uh shows uh before i this weekend, I was like, I, I cannot watch any more pro wrestling. Like, I am sick of pro wrestling. I have watched so much over the last, I guess, the end of the G1, and this weekend has been insane. So mm-hmm. I sat down tonight to watch Halloween 4, which Braden and Davey are going to be reviewing uh, on Halloween night on the Up Next feed. So Dude, those dudes are basically reviewing every show that uh anything that exists i mean they did child's play they've got they dude they have a new movie review out um every time i exhale so i mean they have pretty much every movie you've watched they have a companion piece for uh halloween 4 is a pretty shitty movie but it's i'm i'm watching it so that i have uh i I can listen to them with some more added context i'm really not a horror guy at all so during halloween i I don't even get in the mood at all to watch any of those things are you much of a horror fan um semi like i i especially around halloween i always try to get into it but my god there's there's so much stuff that we're covering that i'm making it a point this week that i want i want to watch like three halloween themed or scary movies this week so i don't know what they are all going to be other than halloween four but i'm gonna i'm gonna try to watch some okay well Please report. I'm I'm sure everybody's curious. They want I recommendations. Won't. I won't. That's part of the enjoyment. I can watch something and I don't have to talk about it. Do you like Halloween movies nearly as much as you do Christmas movies? Um, it dep- Christmas movies, there's a different appeal to them because, I mean, most of them are bad. But that is also the enjoyment that you get out of them. It's like Christmas movies. I enjoy watching them 
with someone else. Uh, they're not like solo watches. Horror movies, I can watch on my own. They're fun. Um, mm. Christmas movies, I like to like cut them up with my wife. Uh, this year, uh, Max has expressed an interest in watching some Christmas movies, so I may have uh, another companion to watch these. What, what are you going to show? Like, what, what? How are you going to introduce a child to Christmas movies? What's what well? Do you start this is with? this is what I I kind of use my wife as like the gauge of like how 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 much do you introduce? Because my go to is Home Alone, and mm-hmm. that to me is one where it's a bit, bit of a pushback on the Home Alone suggestion. Home Alone for a child? Yeah, it's, I don't. It's know. a very it's it's not a good movie. I think it's when you incredibly- watch it, it's. Yeah. It's incredibly violent. violent. It's yeah. really bad. Like when you watch it, especially Home Alone One is it, it's violent. Home Alone Two is psychotic. It's crazy. Like <laughs> it is attempted murder times fifteen. That like he electrocutes Daniel Stern in this in this film. Um, There's guns. It's like it's it's a very scary movie. Like I I marvel at what. At the leeway my parents had of what they allowed me to watch as a child. I mean, I was, I went and saw Home Alone 2 in the theaters when I was an eight year old. I rented Pulp Fiction when I was 10. <laughs> um, these are, these are very distinct memories of my childhood where my, my parents had a very open mind towards whatever I wanted to watch. And you turned out relatively well adjusted. So here I am at, uh, yeah. 10.30 at night talking about pro wrestling. So, yes, there you go. Lego released a, a big uh, Mc- uh, Home Alone McAllister mansion. I don't know if you got, got really? a chance to look at this thing. This thing is massive. Do you have this? Oh, God, no. Are you kidding no. me? It's very it's expensive. Not... How much is it? Oh, it's something like three like $350 Canadian, 250 American maybe. But it's... This if, thing if, is... Honestly, if, if I had your passion for Lego with my love of Home Alone... I might just make a stupid purchase and it would probably do that. I think those two coming in alignment, like you and I, our combined passions, I think would make that $300 purchase. Well, that would be a wonderful uh, Christmas project for, for you and I, John. But uh, how, how long, like, I, I have no idea the size, but you, you give me the estimate. Like, if you sat down, like, how long of a project is that for you? I feel like it would take me, like, probably a week, you know, just like chipping away at it. You know, it's like this thing is, is really large and. It's got like all the booby traps and everything. It's wow. it's it's wonderful. They pack it in with detail. You probably have a lot of fun doing it. Oh my god, yeah. Like I savor the building process, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to. You don't want it to become a chore. Not at all. No, that to me is the fun to like, you know, find out all the techniques. Like th- what I do in my spare time is I watch review videos of people like talking about every single like part usage and like them breaking down the the details of how this connects to this. Like I'm a total nerd for that stuff, so uh, any, anyway, Home Alone was all the rage this week in the Lego community. Well, we will uh, if Way ever makes that purchase, I'm sure he will update all of us. If I if I make that purchase, I, I think Sino might be ever. making that purchase. Actually, will he? Okay. He well, there you have it. Um, great franchise. Yes, uh, two two movies. Uh, I'm glad they never extended the franchise beyond number two. In my mind, <laughs> someday, dude. Someday. It was someone. What a, what was, a crossover. I think we gotta have uh, uh, uh what is it, uh, Roman Roman Roy, uh, Kevin McAllister crossover. He was in the movie, was he not? Kieran Culkin. Um, Wasn't a young yeah, Kieran Culkin. Yeah, yeah, Alone? he was. He was. He was Fuller. Yes. Yes. Gets the chair pulled up into him, and he was the one that would drink so much Pepsi that he'd pee the bed. I, I don't. I don't exactly remember, but he's he's uh he's had quite the career. He's going to be on SNL next week. Karen Culkin. Oh, is he? Wow. Yeah. Uh, I really wanted to watch SNL on Saturday, but it was uh this was the 
How was it? Uh, Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. It was all right. I mean, SNL it, like, is... dominated my timeline today. It seemed like it was a very uh, popular episode of uh, SNL. But um, we we don't have lives on the weekend, so it's, uh, I'm not able to do any watching. <laughs> I watched only the first half hour, but his monologue was really interesting. It was really not comedy at all. It was him more so talking about like. Let's be grateful for the stage. You know, think about all the incredible acts that have uh, been on this, on this, uh, on, on the stage, and think about all the incredible musicians that have played over there. Like it was just more of a feel-good thing, and I, I suppose that's in line with like you know the Ted Lasso character. Mm-hmm. He didn't do any Ted Lasso bits on on it. I understand. I'm not sure. I didn't finish watching him because I had plenty of wrestling to watch too. We'll get into all of that, um, and let's do that. So. Wait, we haven't spoken since Friday because we chatted about SmackDown on Friday where they wrapped up in Saudi Arabia, got to Wichita, Kansas, and we were thinking, wow, like this was a like drama-free SmackDown that they – nothing like the episode of two years ago where it was all frantic and chaotic. But then we got the, the news of what happened after SmackDown. So- are we, are we going to title this one up Gate? You know, what, what sort of gate is this one? I, I hate, 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 <laughs> gate, gate, gate. Um, when people attach that to just anything, it's <laughs> the blank gate. Like, it's just, I hate when people do that. It's so unimaginative. So what are we calling this? Uh, we're calling this a heated backstage altercation between Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch after SmackDown went off the air. Uh, it was PW Insider that uh, reported this first about the two uh, getting into this uh, argument backstage. Uh, they did clearly know it never got physical, but it was heated. And this was over how the segment went uh, involving the belt exchange. And as we recapped on Friday, there was this very awkward moment where Charlotte is about to hand her Raw women's title to Sonya, and Becky reaches for the belt, and I'm sure many people have gone over and rewatched this with a magnifying glass, and it appears that Charlotte drops the belt. I guess she has defended it, saying that it was a um, that it was an accident, uh, according to these reports and such, and Becky feeling it made her look bad, and that this was not part of the script. Um, Fightful doing a lot of uh, follow-up reporting on the initial story as well, and... So what happened after that is that Sonya, you know, instructed Charlotte pick up the belt, which she did, and handed it to Sonya. And then uh, we had, you know, Becky throw her belt at Charlotte. That also landed on the ground. And all of this was edited off of the YouTube version, as was the encore of SmackDown on Saturday night on Fox. Uh, But backstage, they, uh, you know, it was said to be a very heated uh, back and forth between the two. And Charlotte reportedly asked to leave the venue as Becky had a dark match after. And then the final thing here comes from uh, Wade Keller. Charlotte was asked to leave the venue. Yes. Yes. And the torch, uh, Wade Keller reported at the Pro Wrestling Torch, multiple sources indicate that the verbal altercation got heated and the predominant locker room sentiment was on Becky's side on this. One wrestler said Becky is seen as a, quote, hero for standing up to Charlotte, who over the course of this year has alienated her colleagues backstage with attitude issues. Quote, she's been increasingly difficult to work with, one wrestler tells PW Torch. 
Another wrestler tells the torch that Becky is universally respected and liked among her colleagues, and Charlotte crossing her like that was the final straw for people who are trying to give her the benefit of the doubt through a string of other issues she's been having. She has been more and more isolating herself behind the scenes. Quote, no other women want to work with her now, one wrestler says to the torch, citing she is seen as only interested in how she looks and scrutinizing everything she's involved in through a self-centered filter. So a pretty uh, strong kind of uh, uh, indication of how Charlotte was viewed in this. Um, I I did hear about the incident and it was consistent with this, that it seemed like the negativity of this certainly came towards Charlotte's uh, role in this, this whole thing. And I guess just getting through all of this way, I think that there's a lot that can be dissected from this. Is this a, is this a medium large or is this a giant story when you come away with it medium large or giant story yes is, um, this, is there a milk is there a sugar <laughs> is there a sleeve you know i would say in terms of uh, at least audience interest i i definitely think it's somewhere in the large to you know extra large range it's it's an incredibly juicy gossipy story that you know, it really is entirely based on hearsay, I would say. But, you know, it, it seems like pretty consistent hearsay across the board. Um, you know, we know that this, this in fact, altercation probably did happen. But as far as the reasons uh, and, like, you know... The, the, the backstage, it's, it, like, it, it happened, yes. It happened. But as far as, like, you know, um, is there a consensus reaction to how everybody feels about Charlotte... I, you know, without necessarily being there, I, I can't say. And I don't even know if you are back there, like if you could really say, but, you know, we can only go by what 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 are what the, uh, you know, the, the wonderful reporters have, have been able to su- suggest. But it's 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 an incredibly fun topic to discuss, to think about. And it's one that um, has resulted, I think, in at least, you know, one instance of unprofe- unprofessionalism on screen. Um I don't know if, you know, people will look back at the Naya incident with Charlotte as another example of where unprofessionalism bled its way onto screen. Although in that situation, I feel like the public was a lot more sympathetic to Charlotte because, you know, Naya has uh, had a reputation of being unsafe. But um, I I don't exactly know what the result is. From what I understand, Charlotte has um, still quite a bit of time on her contract for her. Of course, you have to look at the fact that her husband's no longer with the company, her Father's no longer with the company as you Boy, know, boyfriend in Andrade. I'm sorry, yeah, boyfriend. Um, you know, as as maybe points of contention that a problem maybe affected her mood at work. But clearly, you know, it seems like the word is that this person is not enjoying her time in this company right now, and people aren't necessarily enjoying her being at the company either. Yeah, I think it's certainly one where, first of all, I think anyone like you look at this segment and people might think like this is completely ridiculous that this is taken so seriously. And I very much push back at that aspect. These women, they are main event performers. Their presentation is of the utmost importance to them. Like they have clear stakes in the game here and are going to be very, very invested in how their characters are presented. And if you think that this is something that is negotiable, something that you don't agree with, you are well within your rights to argue, to make changes, make suggestions, 100%. But I think where this falls apart is that once you go out there, you have to have that trust of your dance partner out there, whether it is a match, whether it is a segment where we are both getting towards the same goal. We are we are flying this plane and both of us need to be able to make the landing here. And that did not happen here. And on the one side is that 
you have Survivor Series next month, and on paper, this is the match as of today. This can certainly change, and I think that will ultimately come down to Becky's willingness to work with Charlotte. Because if you cannot trust someone in a scenario to switch belts, I'm going to put my body in your hands. I think that is where you come down to the trust issue. And I mean, it has also become very apparent over this weekend that the relationship between these two seems like it has has been awfully strained for some time. So, and that's the weird world of pro wrestling way is that this is a more intriguing match now than it was before this incident, because reality connects with people and they will be watching very intently on any segment, any involvement with these two. And it adds an edge to a match, but uh, I don't know if we should necessarily be championing that if one party uh, does not feel secure in working with the other or just flat out does not want to. I think they would be within their rights to not want that now. It's certainly, yeah. You know, especially if you're somebody on the level of a Becky Lynch. But uh, something tells me, given her professionalism, I think whatever Vince wants, if they want this match to go ahead, if they see the online buzz coming out of these online stories is that much greater they're going to go ahead with this match and they're they're probably going to fold some of these storyline elements into the program the way they did with Nia and Charlotte when all that stuff came out. Um, I don't doubt that if the match is you know going to proceed as planned that both of them will be able to put this aside to have the best match that they could possibly have. Um, it just depends, you know, what these meetings are like in behind closed doors. Are they texting each other trying to make up and, you know, are they are they having these meetings on the side saying, hey, we got out of hand here. Um, ultimately we just want to put on the show, how do we use this to our advantage to get the audience invested? At the end of the day, it was, you know, a blunder during the segment. I don't think it was this catastrophic disaster of a segment, but it's, it's more so in hindsight, you go back and watch it. And I think it amplifies it. It's not like, I, I would feel very differently if this escalated into physicality backstage. And then it's like, you're talking you know, significant disciplinary issues. I don't know if I'm so much in the idea that you're even looking at disciplinary issues here. I think there's certainly like if the story as it has been reported, if you look at all of the facts here, um, I think you can look at Charlotte being the unprofessional one here. I don't know if I'm going so far as to expect any kind of disciplinary measure. And I don't know if it's necessarily warranted other than it being a, a bad night at work. Well, what's, what's, what would be intriguing for me is whether or not Charlotte, and this will all take place privately, so who knows whether or not we'll even find out about it, but if she, knowing that her reputation hasn't been so great with the locker room, um, does she take any steps to personally you know, talk to everybody to say, hey, like this happened, I, I, was, I know I've been a bit of, of a loner and a bit of an asshole lately, but such and such, I don't know. But I do think workplace, uh, you know, relationships are incredibly important, especially when you're called upon to put your body on the line with a bunch of other people. So uh, that to me is probably more concerning than, you know, um, anything about whether or not, uh, the, you know, what her next programmer is or, or what. But let's just play devil's advocate for a little bit there. Do you how much do you believe that Charlotte possibly might have dropped the belt by accident? And was she entirely wrong to be opposed to this segment? I mean, this uh, the audience itself. We were not all at largely... all. Like, listen, that that goes to my point. That like, listen, this belt exchange was silly on paper, and it. I I certainly would be looking at myself of man. This we're both going to go out there, and you're going to hand me your belt, and I'm going to hand you your belt, and it's 
you know, it's not a great scenario. This is not the kind of segment where it's like, man, we're really going to hit it out of the park and this is going to be awesome. It's this is like a real just gritting your teeth and going through with it kind of segment. And she has every right to have her concerns and try to make the best out of what has been presented with you. And that is going to happen a lot in in any company. This is not a WWE-specific issue where sometimes you have to go out and run the play that you might not agree with, but you have to make it the best you can because those are the parameters of what the segment has been booked at. So I completely get Charlotte's uh, way of thinking here of going into this and having putting it mildly having concerns um but i cannot agree with if that if that part was not like the the way it was outlined in the fightful report was that becky was to grab the belt and kind of have her moment holding up like the two titles like very much like conor mcgregor at mm-hmm. ufc 205 uh, after a bit of a cat and mouse chase between the two and in 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 the ensuing cat and mouse is that possibly when charlotte accidentally let go of the well, belt I mean, that's that's to your interpretation. And like you can watch the video and you, you can draw your own conclusion. I cannot sit here and definitively say either way. Um, if <laughs> if she deliberately, you know, tried to just throw a curveball here at Becky, uh, she should be admonished for that. Like you did not go along with with the plan. It was a it was like a goofy looking moment. I don't think to Becky that the idea that it made her look weak. I just think it was. I don't think, honestly, if this story had not come out uh, and there was no incident backstage. I wouldn't have thought no, twice about it. Honestly. No one is talking about it. It was just it was just a segment. And at the end of it, you are left with – Sasha Banks was like the prevailing focus of that segment by the end of it. Yeah, it's very fascinating. I imagine decades from now we'll be talking about this this day um, in a shoot I hope interview. not. I hope not. It's, I think we will. I don't think it's the biggest story in the world, but it is one that is going to grab a Did ton of curiosity and interest. To drop that belt. Yes, Here it is. is. The Steve Austin podcast. You know they're going to replay it. Yeah. Frame WWE. by frame, the belt drop. Yes. This will be like years later when WWE resurrects uh, Confidential and Charlotte does her sit down and tells all about the night in Wichita, Kansas. Yeah. Bound for glory. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on no. that story before we no. move on? No. Bound for Glory, um, I know you at least got to see the main event. I watched the entire show. Um, how much did you see? Just the main event? No, I caught some of it uh, in the middle there, just kind of like off and on you know, throughout the day. I caught the Iconics match and then, uh, yeah, the Inspiration well. way. Inspiration. I'm so sorry. The Inspiration. Yes, that was quite the, um, hearing that crowd chanting, Inspiration. <laughs> that was one of the more unique chants, yes. It'll take some getting used to, but, you know, I'm sure they'll figure yeah. it out. I, I thought it was an okay show. I, I didn't think it was blow away great. Um, I was really impressed with uh, the main event between Christian Cage and Josh Alexander. I, I thought they had a great match. The X Division three-way I thought was awesome with Trey Miguel, mm. El Fantasmo, and Steve Macklin. Steve Macklin was another one where, I mean, that was Steve Cutler uh, in WWE. I thought he had just what a what a great performance he had uh, hanging with those two uh, totally uh, holding his weight. If you had any questions about him, I thought he looked great in this match. Trey Miguel won. Um, I would say those were the two big highlights. Uh, Mickey James won the knockouts title. Uh, I thought by the end, the match, it, it got going. I thought the first half uh, left a bit to be desired. I, I was not as super into this match, but I think by the closing minutes, they they kind of escalated it with the near falls and a semi-surprising finish with Mickey James winning the title at the end. 
Yeah, it wasn't a match I was watching all too closely, to, so I don't really want to offer much comment. But um, one of several title changes, all title changes, right? How many how many people retained on this show? Well, we had we had two Impact title changes. Um, we had the I new digital media was, champion. The the only title that brothers. got the Good Brothers. They kept the mm-hmm. tag titles. I think that was the only title that that stayed on the person involved. But what did you think about the execution of? Uh, Josh Alexander winning the Impact title and the scene with his wife and child in the ring. I, I could not believe like this scene. Dude, Matt Stryker is like crying on the air like it was unbelievable. And then Moose, who had won the Call Your Shot gauntlet earlier in the night, comes in, cashes in his trophy and he beats Josh Alexander and Moose leaves as the Impact champion. Well, I mean, going into the show, I think, you know, um, my interest as a very casual fan was to see this coronation of Josh Alexander as an Impact World Championship. Uh, the fact that they had his wife and child there, I think, you know, fits perfectly into this story of, you know, for lack of a better term, this WrestleMania moment of a man uh, working his ass off and, you know, having his first major championship win on the biggest show of the year. Um, and all that went according to plan. And yeah, it was a predictable outcome, but it was a feel good outcome. You know, you saw the child in the ring giving his dad a hug. It was wonderful. And then Moose comes out with this thing, this this call your shot trophy that he just won the night prior. Or sorry, the, the a few Earlier matches in the prior. Night. Yeah. And um, I was like, are they going to do this? <laughs> like the like it, it is very much a wrestling cliche too just to you know have this kind of moment and but the what made it different and i think what made it sh- more shocking was the fact that the wife and the children never left the ring they just they were they were stuck they it. in the corner watching dad get beaten and then having dad, like moose stand atop of the father oh my god i i i would hope I would think that the kid, this little child, was in on it. And can we put this kid on a ballot for like best actor, like of the of the like at least like you know on the short list, okay? Because he like immediately like jumped on top of dad, almost to shelter him from like further damage. As Moose climbed on top of Josh Alexander and the child, like holding the belt, that was like the biggest most shocking i didn't think impact would go there but they did and i know it probably turned off a whole lot of fans who you know wanted to see this great culmination of this josh alexander story for for the show to go off air that way but i i love this i thought it was a great end i i thought like the the, the sun was fantastic um matt striker is not everyone's cup of tea but like his reaction like i'm not kidding like he was crying on the air talking about how Josh Alexander, it, it, like, it, he's saying, like, your father's a hero to the son. And he, it's like, and then you do this angle that just comes out of nowhere. And I I think, like, in most scenarios, I think it would be kind of that idea that you had this this great moment. I think with Impact, though, it's like they they need to come up with stunts. And this was very much a stunt that it would eclipse the feel-good moment that the the shocking outcome over over t- is just far greater uh, of a ripple effect to the wrestling audience. That Josh Alexander still comes out of this as 
a huge baby face for the company, but also you have an angle coming out of it. So you have a big heel and moose. That's right. And yeah. I, I can't say I, I hated it. It was, you know, I, I will say if you were somebody though, that is just checking out impact. Um, and maybe there's not a whole lot of people that are just casual viewers of impact that are coming in. Like one thing is trying to really differentiate yourself from, from any other companies and I just think like you watch this show in a vacuum and it's the main angle is a guy wins their Royal Rumble and does their money in the bank cash in. And it just feels like it's mm-hmm. it just it does feel like a bit of a template, even though like someone that watches Impact, I don't think is going to think that way. But it does come across as just a, like that call your shot gauntlet. They do this every year. They always do these. And I just think. Copying the Royal Rumble is just one of those I would not do. I whether it's AEW or any other company, I think it's just such a tried and true gimmick match that is so ingrained with WWE that it just feels like a knockoff whenever you see other companies try to do it. I, I do know what you're saying with that criticism because I'll say you know we're in, in thinking about what Impact represents in the wrestling landscape these days. They to me really do feel like they are trying to be. You know, they're trying to follow maybe the format of what a WWE pro wrestling has been. Um, I you know, with 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 exceptions, you know, I think their their knockouts division is many ways doing a whole lot better than what the WWE is presenting right now. But by and large, like you look at up and down this roster, many of the debuts are former WWE people that have been let go, retaining a lot of their WWE characters, not really evolving them, carrying on WWE storylines, as in like you know Heath and Rhino, for instance. Um. And rather than, you know, maybe we'll talk about GCW as well, a company who I think has been achieving a a great deal of of buzz, a company that I think has been able to establish their own tone and their own story and their own characters. Impact, I mean, really throughout its much of its its existence feels like it's trying to play catch up in a way to the WWE. But I also understand why they have to do that, too. It's not like they can take on you know the amount of risk that a gcw is able to because i think they are coming from a point where they are trying to achieve that mainstream attention they are a company that is trying to achieve you know a similar status of what they had before as a at genuine number two towards the wwe so i i don't know if i get the sense that they're taking as many willing to take as many risks or, or willing to think as outside of the box um and maybe that's a problem to people like you or I who have so many other options. Yeah, I, I would say one example of someone like they have brought in over the, over the past year and a half, I guess, at this point, like Diana Perrazzo, I think they have done a phenomenal job with her, who is just existing in NXT. They didn't even put her on TV in on NXT. And I think they have just done a fantastic job with her. So, I mean, there have certainly been cases of people that they have brought in and gotten the best out of um yeah it will be i just think i see impact at a certain level and it's why i i don't know i don't put too much stock into whatever the fan reaction is good or bad to that closing angle it's like impacts at its place and i don't see it falling but i don't see it you know leapfrogging other companies either it's sort of in this place that other companies are in too of we are we are not WWE, we are not AEW, and we are all fighting for the remaining market share and how much of it is out there for people. I guess, you know, Bound for Glory is a bit of a litmus test to see what 
the pulses on impact among that fan base that this is the show. If you're going to check out one or two shows a year, this is going to be one of them. For sure. Yeah. You know, what, what is really nice to see, though, is just all the integration of, of various people, like uh, all the people working across different promotions on Saturday night alone was really impressive to see, including the demon. The return Dale of the Torbor demon. got uh, brought back to pro wrestling uh, and showed up in the gauntlet. The last name I was expecting to see on Saturday night, uh, but he was there. Um, but uh, but no Braun Strowman, no um, uh, uh, Bronson Reed. No, no. Um, I mean, are, are you, names at least. Right. I mean, do you do you look at those as like like landing spots for for those performers? Do you see Impact being an ideal fit for those? Well, I mean, it's it's largely dependent on like you know what other company whether or not AEW is interested, and if the answer is no at the moment, then I mean, I think it would be Impact Wrestling. Um, I I you know the, the those guys. I mean, Bronson Reed. I'm I'm actually a lot more excited for than than Braun Strowman because I think there's just so much untapped potential, um, in 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 that performer that we haven't seen on a big national stage yet. But um, I'm sure Braun Braun would be great too. But you know, the bigger question is what his price tag would be and whether or not that's worth it for Impact Wrestling. What of uh, GCW did you see this week? And I did not get to see either of the shows. They had Bloodsport Friday and then War Ready on Saturday. I caught a bit of a uh, blood sport. I haven't uh, finished the second half of the show yet, but I watched the first half of it and a standout from what I was able to see. Again, I haven't seen the second half of the show yet, which contained, you know, Minoru Suzuki, Chris Dickinson. And I, I did see the main event. Actually, I did. I did. See okay. That. And it was, it, it was a fun main event. I, I enjoyed it qu- quite a bit, but that's all I got to see. Okay. I got to see uh Marina Shafir versus uh Masha Slamovich. And I was just in particular, especially curious to see like how Mar- Marina Shafir would look within Bloodsport because she hadn't had many matches since uh, she was let go by, uh, by the WWE. And I obviously, you know, given her real background in uh, MMA, I I wanted to see how she would adapt. And she looked fucking tremendous, John. Like the intensity was just off the charts. She came out here. I mean, looking like she was like Ronda Rousey, you know, like about to like approach a real fight. I hadn't seen much of her MMA, but like, Whatever it was, like she was able to adapt it here incredibly well. She came on here looking like a beast and uh, pretty much like dominated against the you no know, Masha Slamovich. And um, her technique looked wonderful. Um, her she looked in amazing shape. Like she's like you know considerably like bigger than I think a lot of the people, uh, the female members of that roster. So she should a hundred percent be getting at at minimum an invite to Dark, if not more. Like I would be. Well, this would be the start. You know, she'd I think have to rack up a bit, a bit more buzz and and having performances like this. But you know, Rocky Romero was going crazy over her on commentary, saying that the promotion could be built around her. And I'm mm-hmm. absolutely in agreement. Like she, she I think has so much potential within that style. You could really see like outside of the WWE system how much she's really advanced. I mean, probably just training with the, the various people around her in her life. You know, it makes me think like what she would have been like had she stuck around to be a part of Diamond Mine. But I'm almost mm. better, more thankful that she's out of that system where she can probably like pr- progress this way with with a whole lot more freedom. So I'm really high up on her. And then uh, I got to see the main event of uh, the next night with uh, Nick Gage versus Minoru Suzuki, which um was let's just kind of talk about this like Minoru Suzuki trip dude like i've been following his instagram a bit more lately and the man is just detailing like 
first of all, what what socks he's wearing uh, all the time. Consistent. But, but the amount of travel that he's been doing has just been insane. Um, that that Danielson match he didn't find out about until you know, like, uh, like a, a just whenever it was announced, basically, and then had probably to, as soon as uh, they found out SmackDown's going to be thirty minutes longer. Exactly. Yeah, flew down to Miami and then flew back up to like you know the Northeast wherever he was at. He had to be in Philadelphia the next night. Yeah, insane, dude. And then had to fly to L.A. and then all throughout. Like, so he's that's that schedule is insane. Did the match with Chris Dickinson last night and then Nick Gage. Now, you know, this was not. I don't know what you're necessarily thinking of when you're thinking about Moxley, sorry, uh, Minoru Suzuki versus Nick Gage, but I did I w- not want to see Minoru Suzuki do a Nick Gage style of match. I did not need to see Minoru Suzuki taking one light tube. So I have not seen the match, but um, I, I did not want to see this guy in a Nick Gage style of match. Well, not one drop of blood was uh, fall fell uh, from either man in this match, and I. I feel like in some ways when you're talking about a Nick Gage main event in a GCW show, that could be a little disappointing. But I also understand this, that this man in Minoru Suzuki has been on an unbelievable schedule. He is scheduled to probably go back home on a flight in Japan soon. So I don't know what sort of major laceration um, would be like worthwhile to deal with before heading on a plane for, for that trip. Um, I think, though, it resulted in something that was more... Um, more like, um, just a bit of a brawl using a lot of Suzuki theatrics and it felt like it was a gauge match that where he, where he had to hold back. There was certainly a bit of awkwardness for a big chunk of this match as, you know, gauge was setting up his final spot, uh, where he had to set up, uh, basically a, what is it? A, the, the door frame on, on the top of a bunch of chairs and it was just, Super awkward as like, I don't know if he's fumbling for it. He's looking for the chair and the fans ultimately have to like kind of help him grab it from the opposite side of the ring. But Suzuki is in the corner for an eternity, you know, an unrealistic eternity. I'm talking like mm. it felt like two minutes here. And there are even moments where Suzuki's like, hey, like, <laughs> like, you did you forget about me, dude? And then like he kind of like pushed him and then he kicked him. Nick Gage kicked him a, b- a bit more. But it finished with a gotch style pile driver through that table onto some chairs and that was about as much risk as I would have said you know some some thrown chairs and whatnot but I have to say I was ultimately a little bit disappointed because I think given the two personalities I'd built up a big match in my head um and it wasn't quite a great gauge match and I wouldn't say it was a great Suzuki match either so it, it was kind of maybe a just an issue of you know maybe the circumstance of Suzuki not wanting to take those risks and understandably so and um, it's a know. hard match to do when you're thinking about the two styles. And if you're not going to do all the light tubes and stuff like that's that's a tough match to put together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But on paper, I mean, it was very attractive. And the that's the appeal is like, how, what's this going to look like? And the entrances were, were fantastic. And the Briscoes won the uh, the tag title. So obviously they will be doing more dates with GCW. They beat Mance Warner and Matthew Justice. So um yeah, just more interesting to see the Briscoes outside of Ring of Honor and getting mm-hmm. more of a sustained run with, with GCW as well. Uh, quickly here, uh, today's New Japan show, the main note was Kazuchika Okada coming out for his six-man tag wearing the old IWGP belt to signify his G1 win. So we now have, I guess, the story of Shingo Takagi, Will Ospreay, and Kazuchika Okada all making claims to the world title and uh, Okada's going to carry around his belt. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we, um, I guess, predicted, you know, um, why not? You know, I think everybody's happy to see this old belt design. Actually, I don't see many people complaining about it. Maybe people complaining about the fact that, yeah, like, what are you doing? You're introducing another belt, but... You know, this is all. I will say, like, I has it increased your interest? You know, for for the match at Wrestle Kingdom, all all of this, all of these shenanigans. I'm gonna reserve it until we know what the scenario is for Wrestle Kingdom. I mean, you have this in theory, this story with these three, and you have three nights to play it out with. Um, so I kind of want to see what they exactly have mapped out because that's. I mean, in theory, you have three of the best wrestlers in the world, so that's not a bad thing that you have some combination. Uh, hopefully, of these three, providing Osprey is involved with all of this for January. Um, mm-hmm. And I would think by power struggle, you want to have that main event picture uh, set up. Like, I would want to know what your main events are or what the proposed ideas are coming out of power struggle because it's not that far away. Yeah, yeah, I imagine we'll find out pretty soon. Yes, and Okada is also going to San Jose for that November 13th card where New Japan Strong is running the uh, the Battle in the Valley. And for Raw... They are promoting a new era will begin on Raw uh, with the season premiere. And what says a brand new era? Then Randy Orton and Riddle taking on AJ Styles and Omos for the Raw Tag Team Championship. The new era begins in 24 hours away. Yeah, at this point, is it just like, you know, these social media people fucking with us? You know, that's just what a joke. All right, let's get into Dynamite from Saturday night at the Edition Financial Arena. In Orlando, Florida. The addition financial arena. What a fucking mouthful. This is That's terrible. A... There's there should really be laws against like just the most boring ass naming of these places. I don't care how much money they spent on it, you know? Give give me something a bit catchier. Yes. Maybe uh maybe we could just call it the financial arena and then it would be addition by subtraction. Okay, so plus minus this should be plus minus dollar sign. That would be a better that that would be a Plus better dollar sign branding. I agree. We kick things off with Brian Danielson taking on Dustin Rhodes in the World Title Eliminator Tournament. They noted that uh, Dustin has won 15 of his last 17 matches coming into this tournament. Let's also mention that Jim Ross was on this call, you know, live in attendance. That's um, right. So Jim Ross uh, had noted early, earlier in the week he had actually uh, posted a, a pretty graphic photo uh, of an issue he's been having where um, anyway, like uh, I guess they took, you know, uh, a sample from like his leg and he does, he said that he has been told he has skin cancer and that he is, it looks like he is awaiting results from his radiologist in terms of determining what the course of action is going to be. So we do not know, I guess the severity of it, but obviously wishing him the best of uh, whatever the news is. And continuing to work as, you know, as, as if um, like you, honestly, if you weren't aware of the situation on social media, like this call was Jim Ross as Jim Ross always has been like, you wouldn't Mm -hmm. have known anything was, was different. Yeah. We had Jim Ross with Excalibur and Tony Schiavone throughout the night um, Tony notes that Dustin and Cody being here in Florida, they're with the obvious ties to, to Dusty in the state and noting how nervous Dustin was throughout the day for this match. And you could see his post afterwards. I'm sure this is one that he was um, very anxious for and probably a huge amount of pressure for him to come out 
I mean, the guy is 52 years of age, which makes this match pretty remarkable. Uh, I, I thought they had a really outstanding match here. Um, throughout, they they showed several times free agent Tony Nice, who was just in the crowd observing, and he ended up working the dark tapings today in Orlando. So you will get to see him on AEW programming in the uh, near future. Uh, Dustin got a near fall off of the curtain call. He did the 10 punches in the corner and then stopped short of doing the gold dust mannerism. So the ending sees uh, Danielson going for the label lock and Dustin gets to the rope and Dustin does this big fire up spot kicking uh, where he takes kicks to the chest and stomps. The Busaiku knee gets stopped and Dustin gets a big near fall off of a pile driver and Danielson responds with kicks to the head to the knee and then uses an arm in guillotine to get the tap at 14 minutes and 28 seconds, continuing to diversify his, his finishing maneuvers here. We got uh, a heel hook last week, this week, an arm in guillotine. And I just love that Danielson is doing this. And this was a really solid match. Yeah, I thought so too. You know, as I mentioned after the fish match, I, I think Danielson's goal is to not necessarily have a singular submission finisher, but to get everybody to recognize that every one of his submissions that he locks on can potentially finish a match. And Um, over time, that's going to pay dividends. Completely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's the reputation that Zack Sabre Jr. has right now. And I'm sure, you know, Brian wants to win that Brian Danielson award. I think he's going to have to establish the same for himself. This was a really good match. You know, Dustin is always fun to watch for his veteran instincts that I think separate him from really several people on this, most of this roster, his facial expressions, his pacing, his posturing. He's in an absolutely like great place in his career right now where his shape is still remarkably good enough where he can, you know, live up to the standard of an AEW roster but he can combine that knowledge with that athleticism to deliver very good performances like this. So it resulted in a really good hard fought victory for Brian in this opening round. Omega, the young bucks and Adam Cole, we get a shot of their shoes as they zoom out next week is the Halloween episode of dynamite and, or of uh yeah, of dynamite. And they're going to be facing the dark order and Omega cut this promo saying, it was always Halloween teaming with Paige, who is cosplaying as a cowboy. And he can't sleep, that being Paige, because he's scared of failure. And he's going through Negative One's diaper supply faster than his homemade moonshine. And all that stuff he said about cowboy shit, it's really coward shit. Coward shit, yeah. And then there's a little bit of like moment where... Kenny thanks Cole for the line, and they're just kind of joking amongst themselves about it. Man, it was a really good, serious promo from Kenny. Like usually, we kind of get over the top villain Kenny here, but this was a, a a promo from Kenny that really I think cut Hangman deep. I love it. I love that they're he's going the route of saying, "I know you so well, and I know you cannot get over your insecurities." Like he's he's prodding him. You know, based on his sensitivity, the, the the main story that Hangman has had to overcome this entire time. So I thought Kenny sounded really good. The promo was well delivered and had a great line at the end. Then we go to FTR and we got a recap of them winning the, the AAA tag titles last week. And they need to win the AEW belts to become the greatest tag team. They lost those belts at last year's Full Gear. 
And over the last year, they have watched teams cosplay, which is uh, the term of the night here in back-to-back promos. Back-to-back cosplay, Dick. Yeah. Maybe we can we can ease off the cosplay references. Oh, not for next week. No, no. I guess next week will be all out. Penta, uh, Penta and a banged-up Alex Ebrahantis uh, respond. And they're going to play dirty. Revenge is coming. Abrahantis has a big uh, black eye. And Dax says they're selling wolf tickets. And if the black eye was bad, wait for full gear. So it looks like we are getting a new match. It looks like maybe in the fourth quarter, Tony Khan came up with another match to add to full gear. I believe this was already on the list. Was this on the list? I believe so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then I'm mistaken. Uh, But yeah, it it was the second quarter when he came up with it. Uh, so then it was, uh, yeah, FTR, Penta, and Phoenix looks to be our next match that is official for Full Gear. There you go. And I guess the question is, what uh, what incarnation ends up on the, the Triple Mania card in December? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shivani brings out Sting for an update on Darby, but before he can speak, MJF comes out to address Darby's little emo daddy. And the truth is, Darby isn't coming back. These people, referring to... Those here in Orlando solved their problems with gun violence and incest and blame Sting for Darby ending up in the same state as your old pal Lex Luger in a wheelchair. And Sting goes to attack. Wardlow and Spears appear and Sting falls to the numbers disadvantage. He is beaten down with chair shots from Spears and MJF sits over the fallen Sting asking if Darby is now mentally broken. And says, if Darby comes back, this is your future. You'll always fall short and be second best to me. I'm the past, present, and future of pro wrestling. And as Sting wobbles to his feet, he gets dropped by a punch with the dynamite diamond ring of MJF. This was just all heat. There was no uh, save. There was no one coming to the aid. This was all heat on MJF with Darby forced to watch at home. I thought this was great. Yeah, uh, I love knowing, like, through MJF promos, what everybody's soft spot is. You know, with Brian Pillman, it's his mother. With Darby, it's his uncle. And with Sting, it's Lex Luger. Lex Luger, yes. Man, yeah, that was um, a major heat getting line. And I love that Sting's reaction immediately was to deck MJF. It was it was great. Um, I think Sting ultimately, like, looked like a hero for doing something about it. And, you know, he got outnumbered here and beaten down, which is exactly, I think, a perfect way to, to heat up this Darby Allen mjf feud. So, man, are we going to see Sting come back? Are we going to see Lex Luger make an appearance? No. no. Oh, an appearance. Um, not a match, yeah. dude. No. Yeah. No, no, 100% not a match. I, I don't think we see Luger. I think this is just a line to use for heat. Um, I guess anything's possible. What I was expecting here was this to be CM Punk coming to his aid because we did see from that lineup of him with Wardlow and this could have kicked that off. And what was interesting was he didn't come out here, but he did make a save in a similar scenario like half an hour later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this would have been perfect because he had already established the relationship with Darby and Sting. So that would have made a lot more sense. A lot more sense than what, what, what he ended up doing later on in the show. No, instead he went out to catch a fish. Penelope Ford and Ruby Soho kicked off the TBS Championship Tournament. The winner of this match faces Chris Statlander in the next round. 
Uh, they fight on the edge. The bunny comes down, and this leads to Soho getting distracted and hit with a boot. They went through picture and picture, and eventually uh, Rick Knox catches Ford with the brass knuckles, and it leads to her dropping them. They roll away, and Soho rolls her up in eight and a half minutes, and then the bunny confronts Soho, who gets back up in the form of Red Velvet, who is going to be facing the bunny in another first-round match, and Soho and Red Velvet chased off Penelope Ford and the bunny. I really love Soho's energy like throughout her entire this entire AEW run this far. The moment she walks out there, she feels like a big star. Uh of course, you know that's that entrance, but I think it's just it, it's just everything. Like it it it's just the way she naturally comes across. It's it's just the her, her look is cool, her moves look cool. Her run is absolutely clicking right now. Um but I I didn't think the match was 100% really there, you know. I feel like coming out of it the angle was perfectly fine, but like, I really want these, you know, matches to be great. Um, and I, I, I at least want them to live up to the AEW standard. And I think this, it wasn't that bad, but like it, to me kind of fell short, didn't necessarily like get the crowd going, maybe a bit, a little bit of a rough spot in there or two. Um, but I think, you know, like this tournament at the very least, we were able to even comment on the wrestling cause they, they got the time to do it. But, I, I think there's a lot of pressure on these women to like, you know, really like knock it out of the park. And I feel for me, this kind of fell short of that. Yeah. I wouldn't say this was a, a, a big standout match. Um, they did have the picture in picture, um, which was largely just Ford having the heat th- throughout it and kind of working around the bunny being involved here. Um, and really the takeaway was the angle at the end. I think that's, that's going to be the thing you remember by the end of this. MJF was with Spears and Wardlow, and Wardlow brings up what was all that bullshit last week where he was sent to uh, up as the sacrifice towards Sting, and MJF says he got nervous, it was fight or flight, and he says, I pay you, Wardlow, and it's a lot of pressure. So I'm assigning Sean Spears as your accountability buddy, whatever that means. Yeah, like an accountability partner, somebody to watch over him. I guess so. Just an insult, basically. So really continuing the slow burn of this Wardlow and JF thing. I mean, we I feel like we get a little bit of a reminder of it every two, three months or so. Um, it's it's going to be the longest long long term story this company has. It's gonna be an amazing video package one day. Definitely, yeah. How long can they keep to. this going? You know, when do you when do you think they'll actually do, uh, pull the trigger? When they, when they feel Wardlow is ready for that babyface run. Like, I think this mm. is very much in the mold of what, when you are ready, like Wardlow is like Dave Batista leaving Evolution, which was done terrific. Mm. I think that would be kind of what you want to shoot for here, where by the end of it, it's not just a captivating program, but you have a top-level babyface at the end of it. Yeah, that's a great comparison. Anthony Green, the former August Gray in WWE, took on Bobby Fish, um where Fish just dismantled this guy with kicks to the knee, head kick, and then just beat him in a minute 53. Uh, but the post-match, Fish just continued his attack until CM Punk ran down to chase off Bobby Fish and got an enormous reaction coming out as soon as people realized it was CM Punk. So um, not exactly the place you assumed CM Punk would end up on this show, but he will take on Bobby Fish next week. It really felt out of nowhere this this whole thing number one 
and you know we really had no reason given for why fish would do this backstage attack or sorry not backstage attack but this continued attack after the fact um as far as i know we haven't necessarily heard him speak following that brian match on dynamite at least or on tv so whatever motivation he had to continue beating green here was not really noticeable or, or was not really understood and punk I mean, I suppose he stands up for, against bullies, I suppose, but uh, we know nothing about what his association was is with uh, Anthony Green here. And, you know, was it, just, wasn't MJF being a bit of a bully? Well, he was busy. Oh, yeah, he was busy doing something. Um, So, I mean, it's just it seems like a very quick way of getting to punk versus fish with fish now being a full on heel. Shivani is with Dante Martin and Leo Rush, and Leo says that Dante needs a mentor, and he knocks Matt Seidel for losing when it counts, and he proved that he isn't one of the best in the world. Dante is not happy with this, but Leo informs him that he has booked a tag match for next week on Rampage with Leo and Dante against Matt and Mike Seidel, and Dante reluctantly is going along with this. And Dante only had, like, one line in this, but, I mean, this was really you know, showcasing that this guy needs a Leo Rush with him, I think, to try and, um, you know, get more personality out of this guy. I think so, too. You know, the one time we got to hear Dante cut a promo on Dynamite or was it Rampage, he actually sounded really good. Um, But, you know, maybe as a full-on, fully fully developed character, you maybe need more than just that one tone. We got to hear him play an actual character here against Leo Rush, who... Sounds fantastic. He's ultra charismatic, Leo Rush, and that hasn't changed at all. But um, we got a glimpse of what Dante's character is going to be. He's going to be that sort of reluctant student who doesn't agree with his mentor's heel thinking. And he looked definitely a bit rough here. But, I mean, these are the types of reps he's going to need in order to get to the place he needs to be. We now move on to the next world title eliminator tournament match between Lance Archer and Eddie Kingston. And... My God, the chant of Eddie was insane. It was so loud for Eddie Kingston here. So early on, Kingston is trying, uh, or sorry, Arch is trying for the blackout, and Kingston stops it. He's working for a stretch plum. They go through picture and picture, and the big spot of the match is Lance Archer climbing to the top for a moonsault. And, I mean, he rotates, but he, his head hits the mat first, and it looks brutal. And they replay it several times. Archer just rolls to the floor. Uh, Doc Sampson is there to check on him. And after several minutes, he just rolls in, and Kingston uses La Magistral to pin him in 728. And I think this goes right back to our discussion of Thursday, where you could not have a bigger match for New Japan, and they called it off. Um, to me, it's like... Neck and head are involved. I'm just past this where, God, we've got to get to the finish. And it's like, how, who knows how bad this could be? It did not look good. And that was my, my big qualm here was that, my God, did we really need to have to do a, a, a cradle with this guy? Unsure of like the extent of where this was. But I mean, Archer has provided an update. He wrote, uh, listen, we choose to do this and take our health and lives in our hands every night. I've done that move hundreds of times over my career, just under-rotated. Could have been much worse. Thank you to all at AEW for taking amazing care of me and protecting me. I'll be back. So, I mean, he seems to be in good spirits after this. But this was a scary moment on the show. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if you listen to our podcast enough, like you, you probably know exactly how John and I both felt watching this. Um, I don't think there's any excuse for it in 2021. I really don't. I'm glad that Archer is okay, but you know, even beyond how he's feeling, to me, it's more so about the precedent that continues to be set with this kind of ultra macho bullshit thing of having to finish a match no matter what. Like, if there is, and it shouldn't be left on the performer. The performer is always going to feel like I've got to finish this, and I don't want to screw up the show or like any of that. That that decision should be taken away from them because they're thinking one way and are not looking at you know health health and safety number one that has to be in someone else's hands to make the call like a red shoes and this is over yeah i mean you know or the doctor and in this case it's like anyone yeah maybe the doctor did some sort of like actual great check to to realize that this guy was okay but i as a fan i wasn't comfortable watching it you know like if, if there's any sort of like threat of real legitimate serious injury just call the match what is the point here anyway you know, the result... This one, it made no difference to do a pinfall versus just a stoppage. If, if anything, like, for the Lance Archer persona, I mean, well, Dude, a it would have saved him. Kotobushi now has a built-in storyline for a big comeback here. That those moments... Yes, it was a super awkward end to the G1, but, like, those moments will be greatly used to tell the man's story coming back. And not to mention, like... It just, Reality hands you something, and you're in the business of storytelling, and it's like, okay, this is something that's been handed to us like like it hopefully the guy's healthy and he's fine and then it's like okay we we react to this it also looks far more realistic and believable to have a match called due to a sudden injury than to have somebody kind of bullshit their way and thank goodness you had a veteran like eddie kingston here knowing exactly you know what to do like with that oklahoma roll boom okay put it put him in there and finish the match but like it looked weak like, you know, like we knew in our heads, we're watching, oh, okay, he's struggling to end the match. And that to me makes wrestling look more fake than any sort of like, you know, stoppage that you could have had. Like that, the, 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 that plus also the, the threat of injury, you know, a man who just fell on his neck shouldn't even be going through an Oklahoma roll at the end. It's just not worth the risk. And again, sets a terrible There's precedent. Too many, too many unknowns. Like a neck, it's like, you don't know in that moment. You don't know what the, what, what what damage could have been done? Like you do not want to be doing anything physical at the, at this point. And your audience is so far ahead of that. They're not mm-hmm. watching that. They're not in the, mo- in the mode of watching a pro wrestling match. They are now concerned about the health of an individual. They're taken out of the match. So we don't, we can take the facade away at this point because it's gone. It's, there is a serious issue and this stuff happens. It's, yeah. I don't know. I just think it should be pretty, pretty routine at this point. And we saw an example of one of the biggest matches of the year that it, mm. it's not the end of the world. And in fact, it's the right call 10 times out of 10 to just err on the side of caution. Yeah. And this was the opening match of like a title eliminator tournament. Like who cares? Even if Archer was supposed to win at the end, like it doesn't matter here. Like it, it doesn't matter. They went with Eddie anyway. Like I have to say, you know, I think Tony Khan has, has shown that he's ahead of the curve in a lot of areas with professional wrestling. But this is an aspect of his company that I definitely think is behind the times. And predominantly we're talking about Matt Hardy, right? Like we, right. you would have figured he would have learned his lesson after that. But um, yeah, this type of stuff I think continues to make audiences uncomfortable. And I don't think we're alone in here because that was much, was much of the reaction that I got to see online coming off of this segment. 
So, I mean, all, all we've really seen update-wise is what Lance Archer has tweeted. Hopefully, it's it's nothing too serious. But it, it looked very scary when you were watching it, and even worse during the replays. Next segment was uh, Dan Lambert and the Men of the Ring out, and Paige has cut a promo on how much the Inner Circle suck. And uh, we failed to note off the top that uh, a lot of the performers were off tonight because, or on Saturday because the Jericho Cruise was happening and is still going on as we speak, and that included Jericho. So several people not available on Saturday night. But um, they run down all the different members, states he's never watched any of Hager's MMA fights, but did see Scorpio Sky beat him at Grand Slam. Says that Santana and Ortiz... They would treat them like a runway on the street. Jericho, he says, is not here tonight, which is a good thing because it allows time for Ethan Page to speak on the microphone. You tried to flirt with Paige Van Zant last week, but the only celebrity you're kissing is Masvidal's knee. And they are the future and not the PR nightmare that is Sammy Guevara. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a... Running down everybody. I'm really glad that Paige was able to get some time on the mic. He's been really underutilized, I would say, throughout this entire thing. Guevara came out and said, Sometimes life sucks, but he worked his ass off to become TNT champion. Ethan Page isn't any further in this company because the only person that gives a shit what all ego has done is you. And asks Dan Lambert for the stipulations. What are they, you fat-faced dipshit? And that led to the chant, which Lambert always sells the best. Mm -hmm. He says that maybe this will end the backstage rumors of you sucking on the stick by being out here. He says that the 10-man tag between the Inner Circle and the Men of the Year and ATT is set for full gear if Guevara defends the TNT title on Wednesday against Ethan Page. But if Guevara loses, he loses the title and he leaves the Inner Circle forever. So he agrees. This is a very one-sided stipulation. If you win, <laughs> you get to have a 10-man tag. But if you lose title and affiliation with the group that has really helped your career out, that's what's on the line here for a 10-man tag. You're like, yeah, you know what? I can take the pay-per-view off. You know what? I'm okay. But Guevara adds another stipulation that if he wins... He also gets to pick the three members of American Top Team that will be on their team at the 10-man tag. So I think Dustin Rosta, get ready, because I think your your number's getting called at full gear. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be him, isn't it? Because who how, else would it okay, be? Okay, how can Sammy Guevara win this? And, and pick, not picked Masvidal. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sure they'll, they'll kind of come up maybe, with Maybe they'll excuse. explain oh, Masvidal is actually... Um, He's he's part of uh, one of our satellite ATT operations and uh, is unavailable or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how you get around that one. Like maybe um, Paige. I mean, Paige you, know what? Will... you know what? I I could see that. You really can? Seriously? Um, it sounds weird. I mean, at, at worst, they're going to pick Austin so that Paige is involved in that match somehow. But she almost has to get involved in some way. Maybe not in the match. She will be ringside for sure. Probably yeah. gets involved there. Anyway, so there you go. Um, Sky and Paige then went to attack Sammy, and that's when Santana, Ortiz, and Hager ran out, and everyone fought before Lambert and crew left through the crowd. Yeah. John Moxley is in the back. He says he's not screaming about wrecking everyone in this tournament. He's thinking about his daughter. 
he looks into her eyes and he shows off his very disjointed pinky finger. This thing has been through the ringer. Looks like it has, yeah. Holy Christ, this finger looks mangled. And talked about how his daughter will hold his pinky finger and that he realizes, I don't really care about any of this. I don't care about the tournament, the title, the ratings, Twitter. I don't care about the demo. <laughs> All I care about is this. Can we get a John Moxley demo breakdown every Thursday, please? Like, you should really work with Brandon Thurston to present. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine? Oh, this fucking 18 to 49, uh, up 2%. <laughs> I don't know. Well, what's, the, what's the male-female skew? And... <laughs> says, all I care about is this, as he holds his pinky finger and getting home to his family. But the way I get home, and he says, I could have an easier career. I could be a mailman or a teacher, which are not easy jobs, to be fair. But this is what I do. I'm in a business about going into a dark alley where one person walks out. And my mantra is, I'll get you before you get me. And I'm going to win this whole damn thing. So to provide for his family, he's got to do all this. But he's over all this shit. But he's gonna win it anyway. I thought I, I enjoyed this. I thought it was like a different kind of promo from from Moxley, and I think more and more we're gonna see this kind of. It, it's kind of interesting. Like he he is displaying more of like this heel edge, but with like this family man, motivations. Like it's very much like Kevin Owens, who I mean, throughout his all of his heel like stuff, like when he came to NXT to attack Sami Zayn, like his justification was his family. He is a Marvel villain. You know, he's the type of guy who's, like, doing sort of dastardly shit, but you completely understand. I, and my, I mean, phase three, phase four Marvel villain, to be specific. You know, you like, you the, he has proper motivation. He's got, he's, like, got good intentions, even though his methodology might be different. Although, I, I don't think we've seen enough of, like, Moxley to say that even his methodology is different. You know, it, it, this this did kind of like put a put a dent into into my theory that they, they are slowly turning him heel because this was more of a babyface promo than ever. Um, I do think he will continue to like they gave him motivation for why he is going through these opponents super quick. You know, the reason why he took no time to beat Wheeler Utah because he just had to go home to his kid. You know, he doesn't give a shit about this. He doesn't care about making his opponents look good. He wants to finish the job so he can go back home. Um, and I, this is also the man that is voluntarily going off to do death matches as well in his free time. Well, that's, that's an alter. that's, he, he's got to save some, some, some room for his own pleasures. And that's what that seems to be. But so d- does he, does he run through orange Cassidy in a, in a short match? I think he runs through 10 for sure. Uh, does he run through orange Cassidy? That might be a different story. Cause you know, he, Cassidy has been relatively well protected, but I do think, I do think he continues this thread of like not giving giving a shit and you know just finishing the job and then moving on. He's the silent assassin type, perhaps. So I I find him very fascinating right now, even without the you know the title around his waist. Like his this new Moxley father character is is very fascinating. So we're gonna get are we gonna get dad versus dad at full gear? Uh, I mean, you're probably going to get a whole roster of dads soon. I mean, eventually, I have to say. There are probably a, there are a growing amount of dads on this roster, mm-hmm. uh, including Hangman Page, who is with the Dark Order. And Page apologized for what happened when he left. They were right and says that you're going to need costumes to face the Elite next week. And they start going over ideas. So it's interesting. So the Halloween episode is on Wednesday, correct? Sounds like it. Yeah. 
But then they've got a show Friday, which is before Halloween. Maybe they'll both be Halloween themed. I guess they will be right because they're all yeah. I've, my brain is uh, separating the two, but it uh, it will all be the same taping. Yeah. So what, what group costumes as as you and I have experienced, John? I mean, group costumes are always they they they're always easy to do. Like they're always effective. What what do you think they dress up as? What are the Dark Order going to dress up as? Are do, are you expecting like something uniform? Yeah, it has to be. Maybe something I was. Is there something from like Squid Game? Um, that, oh that yeah, would... for sure. That's going to be the most popular costume this week. I mean, I'm I sure everybody. I feel like they could do better than that. Yeah, mm. I think they they've kind of set the bar now. What what are the elite going to dress up as? I part of me is expecting them to come out as Hit Row. Really? Wow. That might be too tough. Like, what? Yeah. What will make? I, them... I don't know if they would pull it off very well. Yeah, I don't want to see them dress up as like rappers. Oh man. Yeah, leave a leave a suggestion, everybody. If you know, I think I think the bar is higher for them to be something clever. I think so. Well, we'll see. Like what what Turner uh, co branding they can get. There could be a movie coming out that they they're going to make money off this Halloween episode. Jungle Boy and Brandon Cutler, dude. I I say this like every time now. Brandon Cutler is like becoming one of my favorite characters. Like in this role, I'm getting more out of him than I think I did Toriano this G1. Oh yeah, I don't like this guy is just hilarious to watch. I I I enjoy this guy on my screen. He is so great at being Brandon Cutler. He has found his place, and he he does a great job of it. Absolutely. So <laughs> Cutler just gets knocked to the floor and just nailed with a tope suicida. Cutler then goes for the Panama sunrise, <laughs> but instead takes a back body drop. Dude, I love this guy. And he gets slapped by Jungle Boy, power bomb, snare trap. This thing went 61 seconds. I thought Jungle Boy was going to go after the Queen's crown. This was so short. <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, the, the perfect type of squash match for Jungle Boy and uh, very entertaining jobber in Brandon Cutler. JB, uh, Jungle Boy calls it a warm-up, and he could go again and calls out any one of you elite member pieces of shit as he puts the snare trap on Cutler. Finally, Adam Cole comes out to an enormous reaction. He calls Jungle Boy an embarrassment. I'm right here and suggests that they fight. But it's all a distraction for the Young Bucks to jump Jungle Boy with double super kicks from behind. They beat the piss out of Jungle Boy, taking him up to the ramp. Uh, the crowd is chanting Luchasaurus, but he's not there. And they launch Jungle Boy off of the ramp. And this is after the BTE trigger and the boom uh, as they tossed him off the stage. Yeah, big spot here. Um, yeah, just heating up that program. I think, I think this has to culminate at some point with Jungle Boy getting his win over Adam Cole at some point. You think so? Yeah, sure. It'll happen eventually. It should, yeah. I mean, I, I'm only hesitant because, you know, Cole is relatively new into the company, but I they're, don't They're think... keeping those two, like, very linked together. I, I don't know if it's going to happen immediately, but I think at some point they're building up to Jungle Boy getting that big win, and I think Cole is the guy that they will that he will get that win over. I don't think a, a loss to Jungle Boy hurts Adam Cole in the least. And um, I think Jungle Boy kind of needs something, you know? he he He's not going to win the championship, perhaps, but I, I think a win over Adam Cole is exactly the type of level he, he should be at. So here are the lineups that they put out. So Wednesday show, these are uh, the tapings are in Boston this week. 
It will be Evil Uno, Stu Grayson, Colt Cabana, and John Silver against Kenny Omega, The Young Bucks, and Adam Cole. John Moxley against 10 in the world title eliminator. Sammy Guevara against Ethan Page with like five different stipulations on the line for the TNT Championship. Serena Deeb against Hikaru Shida in the TBS tournament. And CM Punk versus Bobby Fish. CM Punk's Dynamite debut. That's right. He has not wrestled on Dynamite to date. And they also noted throughout the show how the show is going to be airing at 11 p.m. on, what is it, 10 p.m. on the West Coast, 11 p.m. Mountain wow. Time. Uh, so the Observer actually has a great breakdown of this. And through like Dave's like calculations here is that it's looking like it's going to cost AEW around 11% um, when, when you figure in this change. So, I mean, we're, we're going to see like what kind of impact this has. It's not going to be gigantic, but it's still something. If it turns out to be 11%, that's a bit of a chunk where it's going to be a bit um, difficult for your West Coast viewers to watch because of the NHL programming so and those in the Mountain Zone region. So is Dynamite not staggered usually anyway between the coasts? It usually is, but it's now going to be instead of it would air at 8 p.m. Pacific. Now it's going to be airing at 10 p.m. Pacific. Oh, okay. So it's even later. It's so later. It, so that five hours later um, than the than the East Coast. Yeah, but I mean, the West Coast was always watching it later than us in the Eastern time zone. Yeah, like they were watching it at 8 p.m. their time. On top of it, like this is live sports, so 10 p.m. is the hope. But of mm-hmm. course, like you can't control when. A game is going to end, so it's it's going to be a little annoying until they move to TBS in the new year. And TBS, as we can see, like it's going to have its conflicts at times too throughout the year. So what I think you're trying to say is, don't look too deep into go lose your mind <laughs> if Dynamite drops 11 percent on Thursday when the numbers come out. It's the end of the world. Um, I doubt context will be applied, but um, it, it's something worth noting. Like, it's not an excuse if their numbers are, you know, you see a 40% drop. But, I mean, they, they this is going to be a factor for, you know, a portion of the country. And then Rampage on Friday has Brian Danielson and Eddie Kingston in the next round of the title eliminator. And the Seidel brothers. That, that sounds awesome. Seriously. I think it's going to be an excellent match between Ooh. them. Uh yeah, and then Leo Rush and Dante Martin against Matt and Mike Seidel. So two matches listed so far for Rampage. So some interesting stuff coming up this week, including both Punk and Danielson with matches on different nights. Another mirror and the Rampage one, that's the one where I mean SmackDown in theory, it's just eight till ten on FS1, but it is one where you will have cable comparisons with. Yeah, you're right. Wow, okay. Um in theory, right? Well, not it, there's nothing head-to-head announced. Talking Smack is going against Rampage, but there's nothing head-to-head. What's but, to stop them from changing that Talking Smack to something else? Nothing. They could change it on a dime. So that would not stun me, but nothing has been announced yet. Um, but you will still have the comparison of both being on cable and, in theory, on you know pretty equal footing. I mean, there is a difference of around 5 million homes, though, for TNT. Uh, another video with Miro. He is... Feud of the year with him and God. They are still not on speaking terms. Um, dude, it's 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 dude, Kendall and Logan. I mean, talk about these, you know, WWE guys um, making comebacks in AEW. God. God jumped ship. We haven't seen God in like a decade. and He was pissed about that payoff at Backlash. There you go. So Main event money? Looking. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So how dare you test me? 
my God, how dare you? And says he will fight a hundred times and snap a hundred necks to become God's favorite again. And I guess he insinuated here that the blood is going to be on God's hands. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I'm loving these Miro segments. You know, they, he's he's finding ways to make things different. Even without the championship, he's he's deepening this this whole God promo style. And I, I'm totally there for it. He's great. Main event, Malachi Black, Cody Rhodes. What an atmosphere for this. This crowd was just rabid. Um, and not in a pro-Cody way in any way. Because Rhodes comes out and this whole place is chanting, Cody sucks. And it's just total booze for him. They hated Cody. This was a far cry from uh, Rampage on Friday with the, or was it Rampage that they did the show? Yeah. Were they chanting Cody sucks? I thought they were chanting both these guys, but you're probably right. Maybe I'm mishearing. We might have had like a a shift at times. I I did hear Cody sucks and it did seem like. uh, Certainly by the end, it it was definitely a pro-black crowd. Yeah. I thought the atmosphere was awesome, though. Like, I, I am not in this camp where I look at this as some kind of calamity for Cody Rhodes. I mean, if you... Cody, Cody in his mind, his opinion is the greatest match of all time is Hulk Hogan against The Rock, where The Rock was booed out of the Sky Dome. And I think he looks at that, that look at... So John Cena's greatest matches that come to mind are ones where the crowd hated him, but it was mm-hmm. such an amazing spectacle. And that's, I think, what all you want. It's like, this atmosphere was awesome. I'm not fighting this if I'm Cody Rhodes. And I don't think Cody is concerned about this at all. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, I think he probably, like, enjoys being the baby face that he thinks the audience should cheer, but the audience is turning on. That's just really engages the the crowd that much more you know he could be like any other heel and cut a heel promo and i think eventually he might get there despite what he says but i think he also enjoys kind of playing this gray area heel that doesn't necessarily have to get the crowd to boo him in order to get get them to boo him if you know what i mean like how many wrestlers would would kill for a reception like that like this this crowd was on their feet for the whole match um for as long as it lasted Uh, it wasn't a very long match it was like under 15 um the crowd just booed as Cody escaped the knee bar early on. He was going for the figure four. Uh, and then Black brought out a chair. Uh, this prompts Brock Anderson and Lee Johnson to come down. And Brock takes the chair away. Black then gets out of the figure four. He brings out a table. And they're fighting on the edge. And Cody delivers the crossroads off the table, putting malachi black through the table uh, this is a spot he did at wrestle kingdom with uh with kota bushi a number of years back so black and Rhodes both are busted open and the crowd is just rabid here arn gets into the ring and i hope you got this chant way the crowd is chanting get the glock get <laughs> the glock this glock is that's going to be the most over promo this year and Andrade walks down. This time, he makes the signal with the gun. And it's to send in Jose the translator, the muscle. And he eats a spine buster from Arn. And then Arn takes the mist from Malachi Black. This leads to Pat coming out, attacking Andrade on the ramp. They go to the back. Black gets to his feet. And there's a crossroads for a huge near fall. They just hate Cody at this point. And cheer the the kickout of a black kicking out of the crossroads. 
Black lands a kick, double stomp off the top, bridging German, and then hits the black mass. But Rhodes stumbles and lands on the rope. But then he gets back. I thought he got to his feet too quick after this black mass. Like he was, uh, he was up very quick. And they might have been fighting against the clock here because we were winding things down. But I mean, the black mass, it's kind of like that is a finish where you don't get up from. I, I would say your suspicion that they were going up against the clock might, might have been true here. Which, if you have to make compromises, that's what you got to do. Black misses a moonsault to Cody on the floor. Cody hits a big tope suicida. Cody cut her off the top. Crossroads. And then the Tiger Driver 98. Pinning Malachi Black. Um, I thought I thought this was great. And the crowd deserves uh, two thumbs up. They were phenomenal. Very good match. You know, as you mentioned, John, like this felt like it was... 14 minutes actually does not sound short at all, especially when we're comparing to, you know, um, any, some of those tournament matches on, on in WWE. But it was a good length. Like, they, they, they might have been rushing a little at the end, but this this was not a match that they, they made the best out of the time they had here. It did not feel like they were shortchanged. No, and, and as far as pacing goes, this felt like a sprint. They had a yep. lot of stuff, and this crowd was with them the whole way, like, exactly at a, like, pretty much at a 10 for, for throughout this entire thing. Um I really love the finishing sequence here, you know, with, with, uh, it didn't really, you know, like it all made sense, logical sense to me, uh, how they ended up. You weren't going to beat Cody a third time. Like Cody, he needed to get his win at the end of this feud. I think that was, I, I, I thought this was a foregone conclusion of what this had to go to, but I, I thought they maximized it. I thought like a consistency I'm seeing through AEW. And I think this again is where we look at precedent in WWE is that, like, tell me the the loss in AEW that has really killed somebody. It's like this. I like you can win, you can lose, and and I don't think it's life or death that it's viewed upon at times. Like, there is a way to win, there is a way to lose, and yeah, timing. You can you can miss the boat on someone, and the wrong loss at the wrong time can diminish someone. But I think like AEW has a pretty good track record that like I don't think this harms Malachi Black one iota, and it's. It's fine. Like, he has come out of this. He feels like a superstar before and after this match. Yeah, I don't think it hurts him either. If anything, I think it gets the crowd more on his side because maybe they felt this win was not necessarily justified to go towards Cody. Um, I I think, you know, for me at least, it felt like it started off as a split crowd. Maybe you're absolutely right, John, and that it wasn't at all. But my reading was, of it was that certainly, though, by the end, this crowd was pretty much fully on black side. And I imagine that split will continue to divide even more after a finish like this. So at the end of it though, like let's maybe kind of trace back what the story exactly has been. Okay. Like what exactly has been, you know, resulted in this growth for Cody? Cody, was it just simply Arn going to his house and burning the suit? And then it was like the beat down from the nightmare factory. That was what he needed to like get this new, uh, personality that allowed him to adopt the J-Driller as, as a new finish? Like, w- w- was there enough change, like, that we, we saw from Cody? We needed, just... we needed the musical montage of him in the car getting to the red light and the carjacker. That's the montage. We Absolutely. We needed a montage. Maybe that was what was missing here, but I don't know if I necessarily felt that change, that metamorphosis between the last match and this match for Cody that um would have necessarily justified perhaps such a difference in performance from Cody here. 
Yeah, I think you could have certainly explored that a bit deeper. Like it was, it, it did feel somewhat rushed. Like I think you could have done a lot more with some of those scenes. But I think you get the general sense of of where it was going. Now, as well, like what what do you see as the picture coming out of this? Because you've clearly introduced Andrade and and Pack to this picture. Um, what what do you see as like the outcome here? Is are Cody and Malachi Black going in separate directions, or is there something involving the four here? Yeah, I'm thinking maybe. I mean, they could always trade partners. So what would that turn out into? Cody and Pack against well, Black and Andrade clearly have some kind of allegiance so it be, here. It would be Cody Andrade. And black and pack, black and no, pack. No, 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 no. Cody and pack. Cody and pack. Okay, you're right. Yeah, yes. And then Andrade and Black. Wait, mm-hmm. no, they're teams. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about feuds. I'm talking about singles. Oh, feuds, feuds. Okay, I thought you meant like if the if the two were to team up. Um, pack. Yeah, Co- just Cody and Pack and Black. Just so we can. Oh my god, <laughs> that that would be a mouthful. Black. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, Co- Cody and Andrade, that could be j- just a straight-up match that, that you do as well, um, unless you want to introduce um, some kind of multi-person or tag. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. This Cody character is is definitely throwing me in for a bit of a loop because I think he can really go both ways. Um, and I sense the crowd wanting him more facing, like, you know, a pseudo babyface, like, like an Aleister Black, or sorry, Malachi Black. Um, so I'm definitely curious. I forget what Tony wrote on his list, what, whether or not he accounted for Cody, but, um, I'm definitely he had Cody and it was like, it was, a, it was like a list of people. It was like Miro or Malachi black oh, or yeah. someone else. I think, right. um, I can't remember. Okay. So one of those two, there you go. Everyone's going to be checking that photo and like uh, blowing it up to cross reference. Do you think they'll redo them? Um, uh, I mean, they got to do a third iteration of pack and Andrade, but when do you think that would be? Um, I don't know if I'd want to go to it immediately. I do agree. I think that you want to go to that one more time. It's, I think it's very hot right now. Those two, it looks like they're still linked together. As it's hotter after the second match than it was off the first match. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I don't, you don't want to wait too long, but that's, that's one I, w- I would go to in the next month and maybe, and probably, yeah, in, in like a, like a TV setting. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That was dynamite. I thought I thought a really enjoyable show over, overall. Like uh, I I loved Danielson and uh, Dustin. I thought the main event was great. Um, those were the two big standouts for me. It was definitely an enjoyable show. Yeah, I think you know maybe some of our biggest complaints came from the handling of the Lance Archer right. moonsault, but um, you know that's that's a bigger discussion. But it was an overall very enjoyable show. On the forum, tonight's, or last night's show, got a 7.95 out of 10. So we will go through some feedback here. Oh, man. I have drawn Brandon from New Jersey, the man who could not uh, answer the call on Friday night. Good evening, gentlemen. By the time you read this, I'm probably knocked out due to the blood they drained out of me today. It's okay. I did it for the people. I did it for the rock. I'm fine, John. Thanks for asking. Been a while since we spoke. Hope you had a great Canadian Thanksgiving past the cranberry sauce dynamite was great both parties worked hard and their efforts will not be forgotten love the ending of the cody match but the interference really annoyed me this danielson or the danielson match is fantastic but i was annoyed by one thing uh never mind you don't want to hear it okay um do you want to you tell me stop on the meanderings no, when you've had, no, when you've you had enough of them 
Were you sad during the last appearance of Ben Mulrooney on Your Morning on CTV? Uh, Way, I have never in my life watched Ben Mulrooney on Your Morning on CTV. So I did not say farewell to Ben Mulrooney because I never said hello to Ben Mulrooney on CTV. I didn't even know he was still on TV. No, he was he was guiding you through your morning every morning. Hmm. Last Foundations sounds like Last Foundations sounds like a WWE tag team name during the new generation era. I don't even know what the Last Foundations are. Um, was Adrian Chase sweater a Fubu inspired? Okay, um, did you know that Eric Marcotte does a mean impression of Jeff Goy? Ask him, please. It's to die for. Who's that? Um. I don't know. Jeff Goy? Did you see the Fedor fight? I did not. No, I heard the first round. Minute 46. Impressive. Really? Left hand that set up the right and, dude, knocked him out. Well, you were talking about this as if uh, Fedor was like an underdog. going. I was not expecting him to win this fight. I certainly was not expecting Fedor to win it. Like, dude, his hands were... Look, I mean, it's a minute 46 of action, but my God, he looked... You look great. I was damn. Was so what's was next? Wrong. Jake Paul, sign sign up, sign up, oh, please. Oh man, he'd be he'd be problems for Jake Paul. Oh my goodness. We got a Jay from Colorado. Solid show as usual, as just as they do every week. AEW set up all the pieces going into next week. I know what it, to look forward to, not just for next Wednesday's Dynamite, but Rampage after. I uh, thought it was cool that Tony Nese sat through the entire show. Now, not sure if it's usual practice when they show free agents in, in the audience, but it must be cool for them to essentially enjoy their future workplace as a fan one last time before becoming part of the show. Uh, really hope Lance Archer is okay. Moxley's I don't care, I don't give a shit, just pay me to do my job so I can go home gimmick. Low-key screams, new dad, and I'm on board with it. Were you like that, John? Like, when you first became a dad, you're like, I don't give a shit about this podcast. I This was my speech to weigh after every show. Hmm. Buddy, I've been there, but as an empty nester, I could tell you peace comes after about 20 or so years when they move out. Godspeed. All right. On to Darren from the other Melbourne. I went to the show live, and there seemed to be an almost sellout for a smaller arena at the University of Central Florida. For reference, this is about 15 minutes from Full Sail University. Anyhow, the crowd was very good, probably a decent amount of people from the Jacksonville area, and were vocal all night. Largest heat was clearly Cody And MJF, which hopefully got picked up on TV, the crowd really was against Cody and was upset after the end of the show. Cody stayed out after and did a little speech, thanking us in Orlando for giving him a new memory since Orlando is a bittersweet place for him because of Dusty. They did a vlog with Sammy and the Acclaimed came out and called out Tony, who got CM Punk to come out. Also, no Rampage tapings. No, because they'll be doing those on Wednesday night. So, yeah, no Rampage tapings. All right. Well, there. Always enjoy getting the uh, the live feedback from people at the shows. So there you go. So, way our two week experiment of uh, Saturday Night Dynamites. I gotta say, I liked it. I liked it once in a while too. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's nice having Sunday nights off too. But it's nice having a night off any time of the week. But I'm ready to get back to this Wednesday routine for sure. Well, we jump right back into it. We're here Monday night with Rewind to Raw. We'll be live at 11.15 Eastern for Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso members. Tuesday, for patrons, all members of the cafe will get Rewind Away number 97 as we review WrestleMania 19. So that is coming up. And then Dynamite on Wednesday night. They are turning around very quick with Dynamite this week. 
Also, Davey and John Cena have a Bound for Glory review up on the Up Next feed as well as on our feed as well. So just scroll down after you're done listening to this and you can check that out. And that's it for us. Thanks to everybody for checking out the show. Go to postwrestling.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow our Instagram. Leave us a five-star review. Uh, go on to Wei's personal Facebook page and send him a message of uh, congratulations for another week. Another great week out of his uh, out of his life dedicated to all of us. Um, we're Yelp. on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. Yeah. We're on. Um, some people steal our shows and upload the audio elsewhere. Please uh, give them feedback. Um, uh, are you on Yelp? Um, sure. Put the um, Post Wrestling Cafe on Yelp. Just open your window and scream it out. Tell people to download Post Wrestling. That's the best type of PR we can do. Spam everywhere so we can outsmart the algorithm, folks, and we'll take over everything. That's what we're looking to do. That's our goal for 2022. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Sounds good. On that note, back to Halloween 4.